0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 22 of Just Shoot It, a podcast about storytelling, filmmaking, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Emma. And today we're going to be interviewing Melissa Hunter, an actress and writer that was on Matt's show, Shitty Boyfriends. And she has just sold the show and she's just really fascinating and really smart and knows how to present shows
1: to Hollywood, which I think is really exciting. She's a poster child for just shooting it and building her career from the ground up. She's got a ton of fantastic insight. And I think it's kind of a unique point of view for the show. Like as a writer performer, I think it's a different walk of life than we typically have on the show. So it's really uh, one of my very favorite. Yeah, I, I like that she
0: has this perspective of bringing herself into her work in the way that performers do and sometimes directors forget about. And I'm excited for it. But before we dive into that, I was just really curious, Matt, what have you been working on lately?
1: So this week for me was a combination of either just having coffee with different friends and collaborators, which is kind of part of reestablishing connections and just hanging out with people that I like, which is a great part of the job, and then pitching and developing, which is the other part that I actually, I really like quite a bit. So I had the opportunity to go into a couple rooms to meet with different producers and different production companies this week to talk about the different projects that I've had kind of on the back burner and which one I want to bring to the front burner. It's equal parts nerve wracking and really fun. And when those meetings go well, and when they're at their best, it's just kind of two people who love making things talking about what would be fun to make together. And so I had a couple of really great meetings like that this week. And hopefully something comes from them. We'll see.
0: Orrin, what have you been working on lately? So you know I finished those quiznos commercials and they're gonna air on TV I think next week. You know, I haven't really done many TV style commercials lately, but then I, we just got some immediately afterwards and we're actually shooting tomorrow for Time Warner and AOL these fun you know 230 seconds and 1 15 second commercial. They're web, but they feel like TV commercials, which is always nice because, You know, we talk about shooting spec commercials before, but it's always better when somebody else hires you to shoot them and just, you know, help you round out your reel. And they're a fun concept. It's been a very challenging pre-production stage because literally we're still kind of figuring out the final scripts and the shoot is tomorrow. But we have told the clients, you know, Time Warner basically like, look, we cast who we cast. And if you want to change scripts, we just have to keep all our characters the exact same because that's what we have ready for tomorrow. So... I'll let you know how it goes next week. Cool,
1: man. Break a leg. Thanks. So here we go. Let's go talk to Melissa Hunter. So Melissa, hello. Hi. Melissa Hunter's here, everyone. Melissa and I worked uh, together on Shitty Boyfriends. And one of the most unique parts about that show is how much we workshopped all of the dialogue together. So
2: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: That's kind of an atypical sort of situation where I think... It was you, the producers, a bunch of writers, and myself kind of all working together on coming up with different uh, ways to Takes, take on the scene. Like to, yeah, because
2: yeah, it was all the scenes were really short. So it was trying to figure out the essence of the scene and pitching new jokes. Like, I And then it was just I would explain it to people where that it kind of felt like I was on a soap opera <laughs> where it was. This might sound terrible, but I stopped memorizing the lines the night before. Sure, because yeah, you, they you would told change. me that. I remember. <laughs> they would change so much <laughs> that I just couldn't. I. It was worse to have them in my unless there was like a big speech. Yeah, um, yeah. If there was worse to have them in my head, because it would mess me up. But we would go. We would walk in, block the scene with you and Bobby and Lisa and Dan and Jessica, the writer, and. And then we'd pitch on it, and then I'd go into makeup and wardrobe, and then halfway through, I'd get new pages. <laughs> and so I'd be memorizing the new pages, and then go back in, shoot the scene, block the next scene, and then we are back to...
0: Wait, so you guys have, like, a printer on set, and you're yeah. printing yeah. it? Yeah. The... yeah lit- lit- and this happened literally for every single scene mm-hmm. that we shot. So how does that... Happen. You guys are doing the scene and you're like, hmm, this scene's not very good.
1: No, it it, it it became the plan for the it was the plan of attack the whole way through. As a result, I got to know Melissa as a writer mm-hmm. much more than I think typically a director and a, and a lead performer get to know each other. Yeah. So I think it was it was interesting. It was really fun.
2: It, it was fun for me because I am a writer and I am an improviser. And so it's, you know, at, as a writer and an actor, when I am an actor, I try to be very respectful of you know, honoring the page and, and the word on, on, on the page. And so to be able to have it be more free form and, and getting that allowance to be able to pitch, cause that's kind of how my brain works anyway, right. was really fun for me. And it also felt like I could add more value to mm-hmm. the project, which was cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there rules like SAG rules that if a writer or an actor changes <clears throat> enough of the dialogue or writes enough of the
1: script, they need to get paid extra? I'm sure you could do WGA ar- arbitration on something like that, but I think it's kind of just part of the job.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's actually pretty messed up, I, I feel like, in commercials a lot because like, I have a lot of friends who you know, book a ton of commercials and they're all improvisers and they'll go in with like a hacky script and they'll just rely on the improvisers to rewrite it and make it funny. You know, when you do have a good script and you have good characters on the page, you can evolve it. You, you can go with that. I'm not an improviser on stage. Like if someone gives me a, it's a banana and I just panic and yeah. melt down. But if I have a script and a scenario and a character that's really well thought out and fun dialogue i know how to take it right. further
1: so so melissa mm-hmm. before we get too far down the line tell us just quick log line what give, give us the spiel okay give,
2: give it, um i've handed
1: you a bottle of water <laughs> my know, assistant I... brought you into the into the room you've been sitting for 15 minutes yeah. feeling weird mm-hmm.
2: the couch and water tour Yeah, yeah i am from los angeles I grew up in Malibu. I always wanted to be an actor, and I did theater and a little bit of, a little bit of child acting. I was in a, a movie of the week starring Jenny Garth when I was ten, called oh. Lies of the Heart, Ooh. the Lori Kellogg story.
0: Was it for Lifetime?
2: No, I think it was for ABC. It was on movie of Ooh. movies of the week were like a network deal, sure. you know. <laughs> and I played her stepdaughter. I it was just in a couple of scenes, but it's like flashbacks from the trial and her she has an abusive husband who's much older and she or her friends murder him and you don't know you still don't know because but she's in jail now Mm. and so anyway that's a sidetrack i also was in a a commercial that was an anti-teen smoking commercial sponsored by philip morris
1: did you ever smoke as a teenager
2: no i did not i was the only Person on set who did not smoke cigarettes. <laughs> 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 uh, it, oh, fun fact about that it was directed by Tony Scott.
1: Oh, that oh, is a very fun fact.
2: Yeah. And he was in a Marlboro cap, a beat up Marlboro cap, because he directed all the Marlboro commercials overseas. And was smoking a cigar, and we were in this like mom and pop shop and just directing us, and it was Wait, and it was an
0: anti-smoking PSA? It was an
2: anti-teen smoking commercial, but it was sponsored by Philip Morris because it was after all the lawsuits happened. So they had to do, but the whole premise of the commercial was like these cool kids trying to buy cigarettes. But the mom and pop store was like We Card. It was a campaign called We Card. uh, And so but it was just showing all these cool kids who like wanted cigarettes. (laughs) So, yeah, so I grew up in L.A., always wanted to act, went to Northwestern, studied theater, did the whole program there, which was amazing, and and then came out here, back out here right away and wanted to be an actress. I never saw myself as a writer. I always loved writing, but I didn't have enough strength of, you know, uh, within myself to believe in that side of me. And I started auditioning and I got really bored and hated being passive and was also auditioning for like, you know, I was 22, but I looked 17. So I was auditioning for Teen Runaways Who Turned to Prostitution on CSI and... And hated it. And so those, then th-
1: those procedural shows are such a bummer for young actors. Yeah. You're just like, oh, like I'm a dead stripper. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times... Well, like- you have to like know the
0: character in like the first shot you see right, of them. Right. It's like they just play on archetypes. Yeah. And a and- big twist is that she's actually got a 1600 on her SATs. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was once a normal suburban yeah. girl. Right. But drugs took her. And then I started doing i i took my first ucb class six years seven years ago and um made my first web series in 2008 and wait, in
1: 2008
2: mm-hmm, before anyone cared yeah, about web, care about no web series, one cared though. about it sure. which is good because it was you know it was i was really proud of it i think we made something really this is before kickstarter we wrote letters to the North. It was me and my friend, Jen, and we wrote letters to the Northwestern alumni. We found the Northwestern alumni directory and got in trouble because we wrote all these letters because they had all these addresses. And so we just wrote letters asking for money and we raised like $3,000 or something. Yeah. So I did that. And then I just started making, I, once I started taking classes at UCB, I joined a sketch group and we made videos and I made videos for years with them.
1: Wait, what was the name of your sketch group?
2: Family Sandwich. We did a viral thing, which is going to date it to a specific point. We did a show called Hipster Shore, mm-hmm. which is 2010 when sure. Jersey Shore was a thing and, and hipsters weren't like. You know, it was still funny. It was still funny yeah. to make fun of hipsters. Like, oh, PBR,
1: but get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. That was very successful for us. And then we had like a bunch of meetings that didn't go anywhere because we were like a seven-person sketch group. And like, what do we do with this?
1: Yeah. A side note real quick about the, the seven-person sketch group. The brutal truth about being in one of those groups is that the network is interested in one of you.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, and unless you created Workaholics or are on SNL right now. They're interested in all the good people, right? So if you have like a lonely island where it's like all three members are amazing, then you got something. Or workaholics, I think you know those guys were, were yeah male order no. comedy yeah yeah no they they yeah. definitely not the came whole sketch group went up together, but like although yeah.
2: those were three person sketch groups with so they and also they are the outliers. Like yeah. you see a lot of people breaking every day by doing their own thing, but to find. The the birthday boys did it, but that was like unheard of, you know? Boy,
1: I love the birthday boys. I love them so much. I love the
2: birthday boys. Yeah, but it's just so much harder. But in doing that, I learned how to shoot stuff. And, you know, we did all of our stuff on our own and just picked up a camera. And one of the guys was really good at editing and, you know, one was good at directing. And we all were good at writing and producing. And so we just, we made like 40 videos probably. And a couple of them got legs it was in the earlier stages of funnier die and we would get a lot of featured there and we would get some write ups but it didn't really like do anything and right. that was kind of a turning point of realizing that I needed to start doing stuff on my own mm-hmm. in order to get to the next level and that's when I made Wednesday Adams
1: Which is your hit web series mm-hmm. for people who aren't familiar It's Adult Wednesday. Addams, adult right? Wednesday
2: Adams. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did a series called Adult Wednesday Adams. I did two seasons, 13 episodes. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah,
1: I think Adult Wednesday Adams is a a really good place to focus a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of our listeners have, like you, they kind of accrued a little bit of, like, experience. They knew what they wanted to do, and they were still trying to figure out what the next step is. Mm -hmm. So Adult Wednesday Adams is something that, like, you know, clearly you made as a vehicle to show off what you do best, right? Like, yeah. it's like about you. It's like very performance driven. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a relatively simple concept that's just about a character, right? Mm-hmm. But what I guess I'm saying is, is that like, yeah. you know, you, you're boiling it down to like what what's really important to you in this series. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you like shot it with crazy special effects and mm-hmm. like giant casts. and Yeah.
2: Like that. I couldn't have done Adult Wednesday Adams without having done all that work with my sketch group and developing as a writer and collaborating with people and figuring out, I was honing my own voice and I feel like I kept on tending toward female-driven content that was edgy and dark and I've always looked like Christina Ricci's. When I was 12, a bully called me Wednesday Adams at school and it stuck and it was terrible and I like really hated it. At the time, and people would ask me every year, are you going as Wednesday for Halloween? I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm my own person. And then three years ago, I went as Wednesday for Halloween on kind of at the last minute, and it got such a huge reaction. And this was at the time when I was trying to think of something to write on my own. And I rewatched the movies and was just struck by what an amazing character that is and what a cool hero she is and how we never really saw where she went. And, and so I just... I think I was drunk on Halloween and be like, it'd be cool to see her grown up, you know, and then that was pretty much it.
0: And so that was your first show that you did after you, like on your own?
2: On my own, yeah. I mean, I collaborated with my directing partner, Mike Bernstein, who is now at SNL. So he... Well done, uh, Mike. I know. But yeah, and then it was, it took me six, seven months to actually start it. And then I remember I emailed Mike, I'd worked with him on a sketch and said like, hey, I'm thinking about this concept, Adult Wednesday Adams, are you interested? He's like, yeah, send me the scripts. And I hadn't written the scripts. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. I tend to be kind of not very self motivated. I'm more outwardly motivated, which is something I'm working on. But I like to paint myself into a corner and like get people other people involved so that I'm responsible to them.
1: Which is another way of dealing with motivating yourself yes you know. exactly yeah, deadlines
2: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> the consequences myself. are big. shame consequences <laughs> it's like taking classes like i took sketch class at ucb so i could write a lot of sketches and then we made the first season two years ago it was you know i out of my savings account and mike chipped in a little bit of money but it was super super low budget used every favor i had got people that involved that were just excited about the project. I think that's something to really remember is write the scripts first and then get, if people are excited about the scripts, they'll Mm want to do it. And if you get people that are on your similar level that are just starting out, you know, people will want to get on board. So did the first season released it leading up to Halloween every Wednesday?
1: Oh, that's good branding. Mm -hmm. Good
2: branding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it developed a following and I think it got like 50,000 subscribers off of the first season. I had so many more ideas in my head and I really wanted to do another season. And I got a grant from the creative district, which was a subset of Technicolor that ended up like they were giving out like $5,000 grants to artists. And so I got that grant and then I crowdfunded another $10,000 based off of my the fans that I built in the first season. And then I shot the second season and that was released in January and February of this past year. And it I did one episode Wednesday versus cat callers that just blew up and went super viral. Yeah, I think yeah, that was that's the one. the one I
1: saw. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that was
1: how many views does that have now?
2: I think it had like four million. I think the total of the series before it all got taken down was twelve million. And I have 250,000 subscribers. So it was, it, the cool thing about it, that episode going viral of all of them was it was like episode 11. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have something that, that blows up after you've done a lot of other work,
1: right? So they're rediscovering everything else that you've yeah, done,
2: you. Yeah. So know. then it wasn't just they were fans of this thing. It like I retained that audience, and they were fans of the whole series, and then fans of me. So it just was, and then I got really cool press because I'd done like People Magazine and L A Times and you know Marie Claire and like all these like random people uh, or random outlets wrote it up and interviewed me, and that was was it was really overwhelming. I didn't because you don't when something goes viral, it's a very crazy like I one day I just started getting phone calls because my number was on a resume on a casting website. Like it was just like you don't realize when you become a little bit more visible or people fixate on you for like a week that what that kind of entails. Right. And it's
0: super uh, yeah. exciting, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the best, right? It's we the talk best. About, like, oh, boy, We talked about multiple ringing. times no, how it's, it's like it's <laughs> like being it's like being on a drug. Like, yeah. You're just like looking at the views and you're googling I did your nothing name. nothing else and... besides
2: like, refresh, refresh. And it did get... I, I did feel like I didn't have the bandwidth. It was, it was kind of stressful. It, good stress, but because I was doing this other NBC project at the same time, I was like not prepared to balance that
1: oh so that's that's interesting so the the nbc project is the this the show wolf girl Mm -hmm. so so that's interesting you got that deal before Mm -hmm. everything went viral i'd kind of assumed that you got that notoriety and then it led to well
2: the first season still got a lot of attention not as much as like i think it reached a like boiling point in the second season but Mm -hmm. the first season was still each episode had at least 100,000 views and, and got some good press. And then I also, after I did the first season, I partnered with Above Average. They reached out to me after they saw the first season. And then I did a show with them before NBC called Backseat Bitches.
1: The log line basically is right. It's like it's, you and your friend are drunk in a cab.
2: Yeah, it's uh, right? yeah, it's like two monster club girls in the backseat of an Uber. Yeah. And you never see – you just see the ride there and the ride home. You never see what happens inside the party or where they're going. Um, it was so fun. That's yeah. a
1: killer, like, tight concept as well,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yeah. And it's just like you can see how – easy it is to shoot and how mm-hmm. it can still be so awesome Yeah, there's like two days and it's and almost a it mystery right. element yeah. to it yeah which is really cool
2: yeah it's like you have to click through to see what happens and it was it was me and my friend jess slow who was in the first season of wednesday adams she played this basic bitch dog walker or i was walking dogs and i i step in her dog's dog shit and we have this altercation and and Jess is just one of the funniest people that I know. And she, you know, had the, what's it called? Chefa in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Is that Ch- right? Ch- Chefa.
1: Chafa is like when, you know, you make up like a, the end of a story before mm-hmm. you're entering a scene. Or like, right. Like the funny, weird misnomer before you really get into what this yeah.
2: is about. So, yeah. and she's just the best at that. And so I was, ent- she's on the phone as I approach her on a hiking trail. I'm like, just say whatever. And she's like, <laughs> she said, she's like, and I was like, Jenny, stop crying. The Uber is here. <laughs> and that just made me laugh for some reason so much. And we started doing bits in those characters. And I'm like, it'd be really funny to do these girls in the back of an Uber. So I pitched that to Above Average. And they have like a cool system with their partners where you can pitch shows to them every like four months. And then they pick up two maybe and you know it's a pretty small web budget and but yeah it's good with web series to make it very contained and structured and like have a hook that is for the web like I think a lot of people try to make it friends or Seinfeld or something it's like no one cares about that in two minute chunks you know you gotta have a hook that like what I always say is like one scene one interaction and then get out Mm -hmm. at least with independent web series.
0: Just to rewind a little bit. So, you made the first season of Wednesday Adams. You paid for it yourself and it got some press and got big. And Above Average reached out and said, Hey, we like you. Pitch us some stuff.
2: Yeah. So, they have channel partners. They're like an MCN, a multi channel network, but they're a smaller one. And there are a lot of bigger ones that have like a ton of channels. And the benefit of above average is it's the digital arm of Lorne Michaels' company, and so I was about to
1: say that. So it's Broadway Video is kind of the stamp of approval.
2: Yeah. So they they have like forty, maybe they have they probably have more now, but like forty some odd channel partners, and they're all just really cool sketch groups and stand ups, and that have good stuff. So I was really excited to be in that in good company, you know, with the banner of Broadway video was really exciting. And all the executives over there are just so great.
1: Well, and and the other part of the equation is that an MCN will sell your ad inventory, like, Mm -hmm. so your pre-roll and your lower thirds against their overall brand. So above average can say, Hey, every like comedy people, like we can, you know, focus your ads a little bit more specifically on our our premium co- content, and we'll get a higher rate, and then split that with the creator.
2: Yeah, it's something like a a YouTube agent, right? And yeah, so they take a cut of my revenue a, in exchange for a promotion and me creating my own stuff, and then and then at least the benefit for above average was that I could pitch to them or for shows that they would finance and put on their channel.
3: Right.
0: And so, who produced? backseat bitches. Was it you or above average?
2: Yeah. So Jess and I produced it with, well, we had a producer who handled all the production, but usually they produce it, but because they're in New York, they didn't have any kind of hands-on people there. So Um, you
0: shot it all in LA?
2: Shot it all in LA, cast it with people that we knew in the community, had some great, like Noel Wells was in one episode and Alan McCloud and Dave Horowitz, just, like, really funny people. Yeah. F-
1: faces you probably recognize now. Like, yeah. Like, oh, the, the you know, Alan McCloud's, like, the husband on You're the Worst. Yeah,
2: he's so good. So the first season of Adult Wednesday Adams got the attention of Above Average, and I, then I made backseat bitches with them. And then that same summer, I submitted to NBC Playground, which someone sent me. A link and was like this sounds like something you'd be good for and it was it was something that they were looking for the next generation of comedy showrunners essentially and people that had not only scripts but and ideas but people that had made their and can take something from idea to execution and what i had to do was it was a contest essentially like a competition yeah. and i had to pitch a show direct address to camera in five minutes and I'm not a vlogger. It was so awkward. <laughs> my sister who was pregnant at the time and in town from London filmed it for me. And I feel like I felt so terrible because it was so hot and I was like, this is bad for the baby, but the baby's fine. And so I did that. And then I had to send a 10 minute sample of my work. And at that point, Backseat Bitches hadn't come out. So I just sent in Wednesday Adams. And then I got into the semifinals, which was I had to send in letters of recommendation and a Skype interview with the NBC executives, which is horrible because they could hear my own echo the whole time. And I remember they're like, hey, hey, Melissa, hey. And I'm like, oh, hey, oh, I can hear my own echo. They're like, oh, we don't hear it. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay.
1: guys, guys, put on headphones. I was
2: like, ha, huh, just makes me sound more powerful. Ha, <laughs> huh, anyway, I'm Melissa. Yeah, and I, yeah so I, and then I got it. So it was eight of us that got to make pilots for NBC.
0: Something that I'm curious about and I'm sure other people would be is like, so what'd you say in those five minutes? Like, how do you sell, what do you say that sells a show?
2: So my show was initially called raised by wolves, which is a a much better title, I think, (laughs) but a British show is now called raised by wolves. So I can't, I couldn't, didn't pass legal. So I think I was just like, hi, I'm Melissa and I have a show for you. My show is called raised by wolves and it's about a girl who." When she was seven years old, was found in the woods with a pack of wolves, and she was a new sensation. Everyone called her Little Red, and she kind of went through the media cycle and had and ended up attacking her nurses and was sent to an institution forever. And then she's let out 20 years later and moved to Los Angeles to try to start a life for herself with no understanding of the world outside of... 90s television, which is what she watched in the institution
1: and having wolf skills
2: and having wolf skills like wolf right. instincts yeah.
0: And so do you say you don't say up front that it's a comedy that just kind of comes
2: that's as you're assume, describing? it. Yeah, I think yeah. that's assumed and then and I took it. I mean, I, I think I think the best thing with pitches is to really just this, I guess it sounds so cheesy But just to speak from the heart and like what is exciting to you about the idea and I think that's what they took because what i sincerely wanted to do was to create an original character that had a similar essence to Wednesday that didn't mm-hmm. that didn't know about social norms therefore didn't abide by them and therefore would throw people off balance that are usually used to being in in a power position and kind of how that creates a spectrum of comedy. And so she moves in with these three, she moves in with these three roommates who are all their own version of a social outcast for different reasons. And so what I really wanted to explore in that show was the idea of fitting in and what is normal and what, what constitutes like a weirdo and what doesn't and, and how it's all context and, and, yeah, that was kind of the pitch. So
1: wow. I th- <laughs> it's a pretty good pitch. It's a killer pitch, right? And I think there's three kind of thing, takeaways that I think are really valuable in it, right? Like, the first off is, like, you can see the connection between between Wednesday and, and Wolf Girl, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's an obvious connection, Wait, right? Wait, but do you say that in your pitch? You're like, you mentioned yeah. the Wednesday Addams thing.
2: I did. So yeah.
1: I, and, and they know you from Wednesday Adams as yeah. well. At this point, like, they're familiar with your work. So it's like... You're not confusing anyone by throwing them a crazy curveball, mm-hmm. right? But then also it's got a really high concept, right? That's really like potentially could be really broad and funny. You can write jokes for a girl who was raised by wolves. Yep. Easy. Like anyone can do like, The least funny person can right, do Right. Like she right? pees on people's legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. But then also you've got these great thematic ideas that make the show interesting and meaningful beyond that kind of concept yeah you know right. what i mean so and like just just, so that's the trifecta that's what you're looking for as mm-hmm. an executive you're like oh i see
3: yeah
0: there's yeah. a show you got yeah. like
1: two things that just right off the bat
0: you can be like well i can think of a million funny episodes for wolf girl mm-hmm. and i can think of a million funny episodes about weirdos trying to just not be weird or to
2: yeah or to fit integrate. in or to find their home yeah i mean i think that's something tangentially what i've learned is really just knowing your being true to your point of view and like trusting that. And I think, and what interests you and excites you. And I think, you know, obviously other things excite me besides Wednesday Adams types of characters, but it is once I started writing that I found that perspective just so interesting and, and something that we don't really see a lot of on TV, especially in a female voice. And, it just is exciting to me. And I think executives wanna see that you're excited and that you have a vision that is different, Mm -hmm. you know? You shouldn't try to like do what someone else is doing. Like you do exactly what you find interesting or write what you find interesting.
0: I mean, I'm assuming you're giving that bully that called you Wednesday Adams like
1: some sort of residuals. I mean, all this, all this you just post every success on yeah. his Facebook page. Yeah. Did you see this in Variety
0: today? <laughs> okay, so now do we get to find out why all the Wednesday Adams videos were taken down?
2: Oh, yeah. So about like two weeks after I posted the last episode, my reps got an email from the Adams foundation that said that this was not fair use and that this is copyright infringement and asked and asked us to take the videos down. And then we wrote back this pretty thoughtful letter and which was just like, we were under the impression that this is fair use. We've talked to a lawyer about it. Also, we have nothing but, I have nothing but respect for this property. I'm a huge fan. I don't want to do it. Like I, all I want is to honor the, show and the or the the series and movies and everything
1: yeah you're coming out of a place of love right yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and then like a month late we didn't hear anything for like a month and then one day i just got some tweets from people being like where's wednesday adams and then i looked and all the videos had been flagged oh so Um, that's
1: so it was like a well there goes my whole theory (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's tricky, right? YouTube is always going to side on the person making, staking the claim.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, is that true though? So, it's, so yes. what do you do? You yes. do like
1: a DCMA claim? Yeah. Right. So, so that's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Oh. Right.
0: call it the DMCA then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> me politely correcting yours. <laughs> um, so the, the DMCA though is the thing that um, protects sites like YouTube and Vimeo and all of the, any, any u- user generated site from being responsible for what its users upload, right? So you could upload infringing content, right? Like YouTube was used to be filled with, you know, Colbert clips or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Viacom sued them. Like, they were like, hey, we, we know that, you know, you guys have all these clips on your website. What are you doing to, to, to deal with it? And as a result of that billion-dollar lawsuit, which YouTube won they have built in a ton of safeguards. that oh, YouTube won? YouTube but won. they
0: still had to build those
1: safeguards. They still had to build those safeguards because, you know, there's still a business that has to deal with all of the ramifications of people trying to upload, sometimes out of, like, respect and incit- excitement and sometimes out of more or, or less reasonable reasons. They had to build all these safeguards. So now there's, like, all sorts of, like, uh, fingerprinting and... Flagging right, like systems. pattern matching of right. music that you use. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But the point is that they side on the person who's making a copyright claim. I yeah. thought they check, they like assess.
0: They have like real people that are watching the video and say, okay, this seems no, like a valid No, 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 it's No, that's,
1: it, it, not only is it too much, but that creates, that was the whole point liability. of liability. Liability, yeah. exactly. If yeah. it's all automated, that's why there's no YouTube homepage anymore, right? It used to be that if you were on YouTube.com's homepage, which mm-hmm. was manually curated, it was a silver bullet. You were going viral. It was a, yeah. it was like a kingmaker, and they had to get rid of all that well, stuff. because It was like the hundred most viewed videos. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so now they've got that algorithm in place to, you know, supposedly recommend things that you're more likely to like.
2: Yeah. But,
0: but so
1: why when we did Mad X Men and Lionsgate sent us
0: a cease and desist letter? Why didn't they just file a DMCA they probably claim didn't against know
2: us? Yeah. To do that. And the irony of all of it is that it still exists on YouTube because fans re-uploaded it. Sure. So, and those videos aren't getting claimed. And the final cherry, the final cherry is that I got tipped off that there's a porn parody of Adult Wednesday Addams called Very Adult Wednesday Addams. And it's like a shot for shot parody or like parts of it. I didn't watch it. I couldn't myself to watching it but my directing partner did and he screenshotted it's like uh wait,
1: wait wait there were shot for shot recreations of your show yeah but no clothes
2: no, clo- there's more common slapping and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> is that a little bit flattering?
0: Yeah. In, that, oh,
2: that they, I, they were wait,
1: wait, so thoughtful no, wait, to do it
0: that way. I love no. it. Wait, can't you do this DMCA thing against those guys? Well,
2: no, because that's the, the glorious irony of all of it is that porn parodies are protected. That's They're why, like, wait, protected. more protected
0: than non-porn parodies?
2: Yeah, so the porn parody of my parody is more protected than my parody
1: or at least there's more legal precedent. Yes, right like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like no no one's no one thinks it's worthwhile to try and go sue, you know. But there's a what is the phrase? There's like a, it's like
0: well, there's one of the things when you're in in a fair use defense where you have to prove that no one would be confused
2: mm-hmm. that
0: you are the Adams family, right? right. Yeah. That you represent right. them. And maybe with porn there's just like no doubt
2: Yeah, there is a word for it. I forget. Yeah. uh, Legal stuff. None of us are lawyers.
1: Yeah, so now, post-Wednesday Adams.
2: So I was selected as one of the eight finalists that got into the NBC Playground competition, and then I was tasked. It was a very intensive process. I mean, it was amazing, but I, I didn't do anything besides work for, like, five months. That sounds cool. Yeah. I like that. It was very cool. So the first part of it it was the beginning of this year it was the first part of it there was like a call and to kick it off and then I was I had like five or six weeks to write the half hour and then from there that took me to like mid to late February and then I had to shoot wait so is this
0: the first pilot you'd
1: been you'd, you'd written
2: no I've written one other original and then I've written his spec of community. Oh good.
1: I, I always love knowing what people spec. I think that's like it's like finding out what someone's bar mitzvah theme is. Yeah. You know? It's like really charm. Or like what their first like screen name yeah. is. Yeah.
2: I thought my spec of community was really good. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it got me a manager. So oh, that that is pretty yeah. good yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh I have a spec. And then I found out it's like, yeah, no one cares about specs anymore.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: right. No, Well one that's awesome. Specs. You got a manager on I of did.
2: But yeah, so I had to write the half hour, and then I had to turn it into a 15 minute pilot presentation. So I had to, like, condense it down, which was very tough because it's already tough in 22 and a half minutes, let alone 15 minutes to, like, get a whole story out.
0: So do you, in your pilot, do you have, like, A, B, C stories? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you just but lose for one the, for the 15 minutes? Yeah, I
2: took out both the B and the C story. It, but, I mean, it's only have room for the A story in yeah. that, which I mean, is too bad. I was, like, I was pretty bummed out that I couldn't do the full 22 and a half. But then I, they gave us a line producer and a budget and that was it. And, it, you know, they gave us notes on the script and notes on the first cut, but it was very much like do your own thing. So it was pretty much like what I've been doing for the past five years, which is independent low budget sure. stuff. So um, you
0: hired the director and the DP
1: and the editor and
2: everyone? Yes. And
1: these were all people that you'd worked with before,
0: basically.
2: Yes. Right? And then cast it myself somehow finagled Chris Parnell, which was amazing. He's the best. And yeah. tell
1: us a little bit about that actually though, because so because you're doing everything yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got you're armed with NBC. Right. Yeah. So at least that that gives you a lot of credibility. But like how do you go about getting someone like Chris Parnell to be in a show.
0: And is the budget just, is it like a TV pilot, like an NBC pilot budget?
2: It's like a, I can't say the number, but it was like a good, it was probably similar to shitty boyfriends. It's like a good web budget. $6 (laughs) million? Like a good web budget, but not a TV budget at all. And it was tough because it was the biggest budget I'd ever had, but it, but because it was all by the book, it, you know, I can't, I couldn't borrow a location. I had to get, you know, I couldn't use Permits this. and everything. Yeah, permits and...
1: Permits, insurance, payroll. Insurance, payroll. comp.
2: hmm And fringe on... It was union but new media, so you could give them any rate you wanted, but you had to pay the fringe to the unions, which is like... I learned about that. It was awful. It was like 30% or something. Yeah. So when you pay is,
0: actors, you have to pay for their health insurance and benefits and yeah. pension and social and security. And same with
2: the crew, too. It was all. Oh, wait, so uh, you were IOTC fringes yeah, as well? Yeah, it was IOC fringes. Oh,
3: Shoot. It was
2: really tough. And it was like I had some dogs in the show. And it was my mom and dad's dog was one of the dogs. And we had to pay my mom To be there. And I'm like, this is my mom and my dog. Right. And it was crazy. And Uh, your
1: mom's not going to retire thanks to her, you know, pet wrangler union fringes. Yeah. And that's why sometimes like a million dollar movie is way harder to
0: make than like a $700,000 movie. Because you're like hitting that union, non-union line.
2: Yeah, it's tough. So it was definitely like down to the dollar for sure. But yeah, I had to do it all on my own. I mean, I had a great producing team that I had worked with on Wednesday. But a lot of, I was doing a lot of the producing and casting and hiring and it was a lot. I mean, the casting was tough. I think that, you know, you have the NBC banner, but it was very hard to explain to people because yeah, it was,
1: people are like, well, why is this not full rate? I see NBC's in the, yeah, you know, and the, yeah. And also it had no breakdown.
2: precedent because mm-hmm. it was this new and they didn't really know how they were going to distribute it or release it. So, It was like it's. I had this. I had edited this pitch of the show over and over again, or what the you know what the program was. I'm at CAA now, but I was at UTA, and they tried to get people for certain parts, and it was so funny because this is totally true. At the top of the list, they like send me a list of the clients, and at the top of my list for that character was Chris Parnell, and I was like there's no way we're going to get Chris Parnell. And so I like, we like asked for other people first that we thought we could get, and then we didn't get them. And then we got Chris Parnell. And I like, I think I cried when we got Chris Parnell because he's one of my favorite comedic actors.
1: There is a funny thing that I think kind of benefits people who are just comedy fans that you think of, you know, a Chris Parnell as like a huge star that you would kill to work with. Yeah. And like, you know, but he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Exactly. He's just a guy.
2: And he that was. That my
1: parents would not write. you wouldn't him. right, and I would be so excited. I would lose <sighs> my shit if I. I was yeah,
2: yeah, and the and the irony, which was such a good lesson, was you know all the actors on it were great, but I've had bad experiences with actors in the past with that that would come to set like not memorized, hadn't read the whole script didn't know who I was or you know all that right like, want to know if
0: they can leave two hours early and yeah you,
2: uh, and Gris- you put them in
0: pink makeup all day and then yeah. they leave halfway through
2: and Chris Bernal not showed That's up good. on time had not only memorized the it but it was in his bones he had made yeah. choices we like ran the scene and he was so good right away and and he like was like do you have any do you have any notes and it's just the two of us and I was like and we had been like paling around a little bit, so I felt comfortable doing bits. So I was like, um, yeah, you know, one note, this is this is a hard drama. So I don't know. He's like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And then he just started going into it as a hard drama. And then we like did this like super dramatic scene. He's like, Yep, that was it. That was Nailed the it. one. Felt but he good. had also like read the whole script and had seen my yeah. stuff and had talked to me about my, and I was like, Oh, you're like a you're like a, the real deal. You're like a professional. Yeah. And it's remarkable how many people aren't professionals.
1: It's so funny because I think when you do low-budget things with bigger actors, they're there because they like to work,
2: mm-hmm. right? Like Chris
1: Parnell was not there for the
0: paycheck, no. for sure. And, I mean, I, they're responding to the material, right. you would yes. think. Right. Or the
1: person. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're excited to do it, basically. Whereas, like... You know, when you're first starting out and you're a little hungrier, sometimes you will take a job that maybe you're not quite so enthusiastic Mm -hmm. about, or maybe you don't know how to show that enthusiasm yet or, you know, or how to be a professional, you know?
2: Yeah. Or just, just say no, if you don't want to do it, Sure, don't (laughs) say yes and deprive someone else of like being excited about being there. Yeah,
3: for
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also interesting, just talking about the NBC thing again, you know, I, I am always like a little skeptical of those things, especially mm-hmm. cause there was like, there was like a social media aspect to it and yeah. like, you know, you're right. It is kind of this blending of a contest and something a little more traditional. Like studios have always had incubator programs and pilot yeah. programs and apprenticeship is a big part of Hollywood.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: it all makes complete sense in there and everyone's still trying to figure out how to do it in a modern way yeah. you know so i feel like I, it's incredible that like everything worked out so well for you i think if i had someone had sent me you know that link i would have rolled my eyes and been like nah i'm good you know i'd what be I mean? like yep. oh it seems like so much work. yeah oh great a, a contest they want <laughs> but me to that, but yeah. that's
0: what i think is so great about what melissa is telling us is it's like i think i would see it and i'd be like this is just way too much work and just figuring out the show and putting it something super clever together and Effects mm-hmm. and editing it well, and you're like, My well. sister has to tape my confessional. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it was also uh, as a side note, I had been working a day job for all my years, and then a year and a half ago, I quit with no parachute, like, just quit because. You know, it was great people that I was working with, but it was not what I wanted to do. It was an entertainment news YouTube channel. And I was, it was just depleting all, all of my energy. Like the last thing I wanted to do was go home and write after a day of staring at my computer and being on the internet all day. And so I quit and, you know, I had one one-off like branded video job with above average, but that was it. And then I just was like, I just need to like do it. And if it, you know, I'll figure it out if I run out of money, but I had enough savings at the time to like work through that. Like I was like, I'm giving myself six months and if nothing happens and I'll find another job, I'm employable. And so that was one of the things when I saw that, when I saw that post, I was like, oh, this like, I see a lot of those. And Mm -hmm. this one was like, oh, that sounds like they're describing me. Like it was one of the few that was like, I checked all the boxes.
0: And so did you create the pitch for that contest? Or is it something you already had? It was
2: it was an idea I had had for since I made Wednesday the year prior. And I hadn't done anything about it because I was still working this full time job. And I was doing sketch comedy and that was it. That was all the time I had besides well, and
1: sleeping. The, the, that sketch community takes up a ton of time as well. It really does. Yeah.
2: If that's your nights and weekends and then I have a full-time yeah. job, it's like that's, I, I would do shoots on the weekends and do sketch shows during the week at night. And that was it. That was all the time I had.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what happened yeah. with Wolf Girl?
2: So I, I, Shot Wolf Girl. We edited it, it. We had to wait a couple months, and all eight were released. And I did not win. I'm really proud of the show, and you know I'm gonna give this one stupid excuse. But when Kimmy Schmidt came out, was right before Ruin pre-production, and like I watched the pilot, and my heart sank because it just the premise is so similar. And all the people on the panel are like Robert Carlock is right. on the panel who created Kimmy mm, Schmidt yeah. and Amy Poehler and Mindy yeah. Kaling and all that whole Mike Sure just like all of the people in that. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> so were you at that point where you like should be trying to differentiate it from that or?
2: You know, I, it was it was too late. Like it honestly what was crazy about it was – I had read the pilot like six months prior. My agent had sent me it after I would pitched this show. She's like, you should read this because it sounds similar. And originally it was set in New York, so I, and it was much okay. more similar. So I like moved it to L.A. and like had her, you know, basically Kimmy Schmidt, when it was sold to Netflix, they revamped it mm-hmm. and rewrote it and added Jane Karkowski and – my B storyline was like Jane Grickau- Like I like literally thought Jane Grickowski should be in it. And so it was so nuts. I was relieved that the B story was out of it. Um, yeah. And <laughs> it was great. It was just such weird parallel thinking. It wasn't like it. I didn't rip it off. It was just of course like, not. Yeah. But yeah, so I didn't win, but, I felt like I, and this is so cheesy, but I felt like I won because I got to make a show for NBC and, yeah. and it opened up so many doors for me. And, you know, my manager who I talked about before, what I've been with for three years and she moved to CAA and I went with her cause I mean, we just have such a close relationship. She's amazing. And I think the timing of that was right after I'd shot the show and everyone, she was very excited about me. So it was, I was able to meet with all the studios and networks and, you know, it got the doors open that needed to get opened.
1: So speaking of opening doors, tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on, Melissa.
2: Oh, um, I just sold a show to True TV. I I pitched them a show and it's, very exciting it's my first real tv deal and it's in the scripting phase right now so i'll write the pilot and then they'll either order it or not and but if it does i get to star in it and executive produce it and i'm really excited
1: the the dream come true basically. yeah it's yeah. the
2: dream that's exactly what i've wanted to do forever
1: so what's the show about
2: Um, It's about an amateur vigilante. So it's along the lines of Wednesday Adams and Wolf Girl. But the difference is after doing Wolf Girl, the trouble that I ran into was I feel like as my writing has progressed, I am now more interested in writing real characters. Mm -hmm. Like Wolf Girl is heightened. Wednesday Adams is heightened. I wanted to create a show with a central character that has that same spirit but is... I, I, just a normal girl, and so for me, the reason why I wanted to do this show is because I love. We're, we were talking about this before. I Big Lebowski is was it for me in high school. That was the movie that I felt like made me want to do movies, and I love caper comedies. I love dark caper comedies. I always like Office Space too, and I love the I, like vigilante style stuff that is. Helmed by idiots, by people who just don't know what they're doing (laughs) because it's like, what would you, if you needed to climb a fence, it's like, oh, you jump on the fence, then you just fall down because you don't know, know how to climb a fence. And so I think there's a level of like wish fulfillment of people going after the bad guys, but also a grounded, relatable thing of they're just regular people. For me, my idea is that it's, like, very anti, like, super... Like, it's a real-world kind of thing. But, yeah, I rewatched Kick-Ass. I think a good analog is, like, Bronco Mars, Mm -hmm. which I really loved.
1: I, I think sometimes I get worried about watching things that are too close to the thing that I'm yes. working on. So it's wonderful to find things that thematically match or yeah. like are removed enough that you can still be inspired by the way that they pull off, you know, whatever problem it is they're trying to solve, yeah. but you're not ever in that danger zone of like accidentally, stealing you know, subconsciously so like, stealing something.
2: or also getting so anxiety ridden of like, Oh God, I, they had all, they did all the ideas. I have yeah. I don't have any ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, wow, that's you have a lot of really exciting stuff going on. You know, I'd asked you if like Wednesday Adams was the first thing you had made on your own, because I always find it satisfying to know that the first thing someone made is not what got them the job. And and even though it got you some attention, you had already done like 40 other things beforehand and. You and still had a day job on. that you didn't like making content as yeah. well. Yeah, Like you were really sharpening that blade. But also, you still went on to make a second season that you figured out how to finance yourself. Even mm-hmm. though it's like, even though you have a small success, you weren't like waiting for that to like launch you somewhere. You kept yeah. going, and I think that's just like so important. And you talk about Wolf Girl, and you talk like everyone that we interviewed that's like really successful and enviable and stuff is. It's just like not waiting for validation, you know. Yeah. They just kind of keep making their own things.
2: You can't, you can't wait for it because it, it just. The one thing I will say in terms of advice or whatever is, you know, it for me it was good that Wednesday was the thing that launched me because I had already done like forty mm-hmm. videos. I think if you, if your first thing that you've ever done is a hit. You won't be prepared. I wouldn't have been prepared for it. I wouldn't have been able to leverage that into making the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and building upon that. And so I think it's to not get discouraged and to just do the work and, you know, figure out your voice and use it as experimenting. And also a lot of people ask me about like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that. And it's like I'm a huge believer in doing scraping together what you can begging and borrowing and stealing to do a season by yourself mm-hmm. before you start asking people for money, because it's going to be a lot tougher. You're just going to have to get your friends and family to do it. And I think it's better to just do it on your own at first.
1: Yeah. I, you know, so you raised $10,000 for your second season Yeah, and you already had 50,000 subscribers,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: That's a, that's a ton of people, you know? Yeah. Um, so and $10,000 is, it's a lot of money to raise on Kickstarter. And I think mm-hmm. people, when you hear, you know, about Zach Braff or Freddie W or whoever's, you know, like whatever tech thing is, it's easy to, to look at those huge successes and think, well, oh, I just need a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and that it's, it's not, you know, you'll have time, like wait and kind of. Build up a fan base first.
2: Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to alienate all your friends and family.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you only get to do that
0: once. Yeah, you
2: only get one Kickstarter. And I didn't want to beg my friends and family.
0: Well, so the second thing I think that I got from this interview, from a more creative standpoint, just like where you pull things and just... I was telling Matt this before you got here. I'd worked with someone that had pitched all these ideas that I felt like weren't really connecting with me. And he had just sent... a one email that said adult Wednesday Adams. And I was like, what is this? Like, who cares about Wednesday Adams? Right? Like no one that's like, like no one knows who Wednesday Adams is anymore. No one that's on YouTube. And then like the next day I saw that he was referencing something that exists, not something that he was pitching. And I saw it and I was like, Oh man, this is like so good. (laughs) But, but what's interesting to me is it's so good because you made it, you know, like you connected with it in Mm -hmm. some way that it didn't matter what other people thought about the idea you just you found a way to, to think about it that's interesting and I mean I you know everyone says write what you know and all, all that stuff but I think it's helpful at least for me and I'm sure our listeners to see someone put it in action like you mm-hmm. talk about what you know you talk about where you know it from and then we see like a pattern in your work and your pitches and stuff that comes out of that I think it's like really useful to just see see that whole process
2: yeah I think you know To me, it's even more than, you know, the cliche of right what you know. It's right what excites you, you know. And I think people really respond to someone being excited about an idea and having the full idea in your head and you can't wait to bring it it to life. And, you know, I think you can try to, it's like, oh, I want to do a Broad City type of show. It's like, well, you know who does that very well? Broad City. (laughs) Yeah. And they did something completely new, you know, and it was about two girls in a city that you'd think, oh, God, it's going to be like girls. But it's not because it's their own point of view and vision that made that such a huge, wonderful show. And I think you just have to trust your instincts and your taste and what you find interesting.
1: I also love to bring up uh, Broad City, I think two seasons, Mm -hmm. Uh, no one was watching it. Like, the, those early episodes had 10,000 views, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Like, yeah. Like, I, I remember seeing some that had, like, two or three. So, that's, like, telling your parents about it and, like, yep. double-checking your views every once in a
0: while.
3: hmm
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, good, it's a great example because it doesn't need to be a smash hit for Amy Poehler to see right. it, you know?
0: Well, so, hopefully, our listeners... Got a lot out of this interview. I know I did. Fucking
2: better. I never used the word interview.
0: <laughs> You're the first person like saying right, this interview. Interview. Anyway, maybe we can just get a few more tidbits to our crowd out by talking about some unpaid endorsements.
1: <laughs> unpaid endorsements.
0: Orin, do you have a, an unpaid endorsement for this week? I do. It's. I know. I keep giving disclaimers about how lame my unpaid endorsements are, but. There's this YouTube channel I've kind of been obsessed with recently. I always like discover these YouTube channels that have like 3 million subscribers, you know, that clearly have Mm -hmm. been discovered and are famous in different ways. But it's this guy, I think it's these two brothers. The name of the channel is Raka Raka. Have you heard of them? R-A-C-K-A. R-A-C-K-A. I think they're from New Zealand or something. And they make the most insane videos you've ever seen in your life. And like every week or two, they put out a video and they're all self-financed and they shoot them all at their own house with their friends. And I'll give you an example, a video I watched today. I, you can even watch them with the sound off. I was like watching it in bed while my wife was asleep because they're so action packed. But this guy in a suit comes into this room, he's mad at these guys for some reason, and he starts fighting them and they just, people are punching each other and blood is flying all over the place. And you're like, okay, it's great. They got a lot of fake blood and the action's really good. And Maybe they know their stunts and then they'll just like throw someone through a wall and then someone will get in a car and we'll just run the car into the house. And then oh they'll like bash the window apart and they just like do in- these insane things. They drive a car into a pool. Are they like legit VFX and stuff or I think is it's it practical looks or what real are they doing? to me? And they'll have these little kids like eight year old kids jo- join in the fight and grandmas and they'll run people over and it, it all looks super real. Like it's low or lowish budget. In the you know, except for the fact that they're like destroying houses <laughs> and cars, and it's not like, hey, you know, today on this episode of you know, Rob's fan- or you know, Fantasy Factory, we're gonna push a car over a roof, it's like all weaved into a story with like a narrative, and it's shot really well. And so, check it out. I don't, I, I just can't figure out how these people are, are pulling this off. That's and crazy, it, it's just shocking. Raka Raka R A C K A. R-A-C-K-A.
2: It's funny. I recently got rid... I had, like, a piece of junk car, and I just got a new car, and I, like, traded it in for no money. But my friend was like, you should just drive it to the desert and, like, shoot a short film where you blow up a car. And I was like, oh, I, should, I wish it was cooler to actually do yeah, that.
1: I mean, that's, Permitting that is pretty bad though, right?
2: That's an idea,
0: right? Like, I <laughs> yeah. had, like, an old TV, and I was like, oh, I'm going to bash this in and make something cool out of it. But these guys... They take that idea and they multiply it by a thousand like every week. They'll, yeah, yeah. they'll cool. blow up yeah. 10 cars. It's crazy. I just that's like I always think of a shoot like, OK, what's the one big thing we're going to do? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what are the 50 big things? Yeah, we're gonna yeah. do? <laughs> so anyway, okay, but yeah, but sorry about your car.
2: It's OK. We, we have should have blown like it
1: now. up. Melissa, do you have an endorsement?
2: I do. It might be a boring endorsement, but it's called it's software called Freedom. It's for writers who have ADD like me where it literally just blocks your internet. Like you, you pull it up and you enter in a time like 20 minutes or five hours and it won't let you get online for that amount of time. And there's also like bundles with another software called antisocial. So if you need to be online, but you don't want to check Facebook and Twitter and you need that control as well. You can do that as well.
3: It wow. really
1: it teaches you how often you use that stuff.
2: Ugh, it's so crazy how it's just ha- ha- such extreme habit. Yeah. And I think sometimes when I use, like I used it today, I was outlining and, and as I did it and then like five minutes in, I went to Chrome and was like, Oh, right. It, it just, it, that's what it is for you. And you, you, it's your way of saying, oh, right, I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to be doing this right, right now. Right, right. It helps immensely. So
1: so actually you've inspired my endorsement. So on a similar sort of tip, I will use, Do you, have you guys ever heard of just saying TK? Mm-hmm. Do you know TK? So TK, it's an old like, I guess it comes from like newspapers and it stands for to come. Like, oh, this is going to happen. Like we're going to insert the headline or whatever to okay. come, right? So the letters TK very, very rarely occur in the English language. Hmm. So if you, if you just type TK, it's like dropping a little flag or a little note in a word processor and being like, oh, come back to this. So, you know, for instance, I'll be writing, you know, I'll be trying to figure something out and I can't think of... Uh, a fact that I need to know. And rather than going to Wikipedia to look it up and then 30 minutes later realizing that I've been on Facebook and haven't done anything Mm -hmm. and that I forgot my train of thought entirely, I'll just write the letters TK and then I move on. And you can be in like a totally stripped down, like I'll write in like, like a word processor that's literally just like like notepad basically. Yeah, I do that too. Just so you can't, you're not worried about formatting or Mm -hmm. any of that stuff. So TK I've been doing for years and it's really great.
2: That is a good tip. I'm I gonna do use it.
1: I just write at at OK, which I oh,
0: like because I, if I'm working on a script with someone else, they do at at in their initials. Oh, and yeah. And then yeah. we can search for each oh. other's. Because I'll do it for notes, but also for yeah. come back to this and figure it out. Right. Yeah. But TK is. Same thing. Yeah. More elegant.
2: It is more Old elegant. Old fashioned. Yeah. 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 I just have, I have, when I've been outlining, it's usually habits and outlines. I have like my main document, then I have a side strip document that just says, stray thoughts and holes. Mm -hmm. And so I'll like write down like, oh right, this is an idea. And but then I'll just ask questions of the holes like, why was she at that Mexican restaurant? Mm -hmm. That seems too convenient. And Mm -hmm. then I'll like go back at the end and try to answer those questions. Right.
1: Yeah, that's super smart. And it's another way of just kind of keeping yourself from losing momentum. Yes. Right. Like you know it's a hole, but like
2: just keep writing. Just keep going. Push through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's like with writing partners sometimes the
2: problem
0: is like they just care about the holes. Mm. I mean, I'm just as guilty. Like- or
2: you just, t- yeah, you talk it to death, the logic of it. Yeah. I think having, and having that for me is really helpful because sometimes you forget it's a hole or that mm-hmm. it's a convenient or mm-hmm. a logic problem. And then you just get deeper into it. And then when someone reads the scripts, it's like, why did that happen? I'm like, oh, right. right, right, right. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: cool. Well, how do we see your stuff or what how do what we how do we keep tabs <laughs> on melissa hunter
2: you can follow me on twitter melissa ftw and my youtube channel is hey melissa hunter although there aren't as many videos on there anymore
1: <laughs> cool perfect well you can find me on twitter at mr Matt Enloe. and i'm at
0: smitey pileg and yeah we'd love to hear from you guys if you have any thoughts or questions for melissa will forward you her phone number yeah <laughs> you can just call her it's on her resume
3: <laughs> speaking
1: of phone numbers if you have a question for just shoot it uh, you can dial us at 2626 shoot one leave us a voicemail we love it and yeah you can email us at just shoot at
0: gmail.com and if you can rate us on itunes that would be awesome as well
1: this episode was edited by eric crapaud thanks eric take it away steve Combs.
0: And now just, you know, when it rains, it falls. Is that what they say? When it falls, it rains? When, <laughs> in yeah, the that's fall, what, it rains? In the fall, it rains. When it rains, it, it,
3: it pours in the fall. Oh, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> anyway...